0: Welcome to the Masogi Method with work happiness expert Jody B. Miller. Each week, Jody interviews amazing people who have broken through huge barriers to achieve meaning, success, and happiness in their lives. For each of us, the path to lasting happiness has always been there, but it may take a Masogi to get you on it. Here's your host, Jody B. Miller.
1: Welcome to the Masogi Method. Breaking through barriers to achieve meaning, success, and happiness that lasts. I'm your host, Jodi B. Miller. Today, we are going to talk about work happiness. It is a well known fact that we spend a third of our lives working. So, being happy at work is something we all strive for, and frankly, we all deserve. But too often, the stress of work takes the lead over our own happiness, and as a result, we suffer. We suffer mentally, emotionally, and even physically. Our guest today is going to share with us how happiness at work is done in her country, which, by the way, is in the top five consistently when it comes to work happiness. We can all learn from her. Gia Paper is the founder of the Happiness Bureau in the Netherlands. Gia, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jodi. Very, thanks very much for in, inviting me. I'm so glad you're here. So you and I met in Santa Barbara before the Work Happiness Conference in Prague, yeah. Uh, of which we were both presenting. And I just loved our meeting of the minds on helping companies and employees achieve a life of happiness in the workplace.
2: Yeah, me too.
1: Just so much fun. I just felt like a sister to me. It was just great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely.
1: (laughs) So uh, tell our listeners about your background and how you actually came to create the Happiness Bureau. Of
2: course, of course. My pleasure. Um, Well, I started my career already a a long time ago as an international change management consultant. I worked for Accenture and Deloitte, and I worked in different countries and on uh, big change projects. And after that, I became an HR manager for the Dutch Central Bank. Uh, and when, when I was HR manager, I thought, okay, we, we do a lot of stuff. We need to make sure that the salaries are paid. You know, there's a pension scheme. And they even had to get a Christmas package. But that didn't really make people happy at work. Yeah, maybe at first. But, you know, it, it wore off pretty quickly. So then I started to look into what it is that people really makes happy at work. So I, I read about it a lot. I read a lot of books. I there were a number of training courses uh, I, I went to them and thought, ah, okay. So we really look in the wrong place for happiness at work. And then I got so inspired and also that I, I really wanted other people to know about all this information, all this research, all this stuff about happiness at work. So I quit my job in 2015 at the Dutch uh, uh, Central Bank. And then I founded my own company, the Happiness Bureau. And it is our mission to ensure that happiness at work becomes the norm rather than exception.
1: So that's really interesting. You just quit your job. Like a lot of people will start a new company sort of on the side and then Phase out of their work, but I mean, you must have had a lot of conviction to just say, "This is where I'm going."
2: (laughs) Uh, Yes, I mean, I thought about starting my own job or starting to work in the area. Happiness at work already in 2012, so I had done some preparations on the side. Um, But then I thought, you know, if I really want to make this work, and also I, I was so motivated and so inspired to work in this area that that I thought, okay, if I don't quit my job, it will stay something on the side. True. Um, So if you really want to do something, uh, and if people ask me for lessons learned, if they ask me about how I started my company, and I say lesson one, I always say lesson one is focus, focus, focus. So, you know, by focusing on this topic and just started to work in this area, I I think we we could have grown or we have grown the company uh, and brought it to where it is today.
1: I love that. So I've done a lot of research on happiness at work and happiness in life as well, as you know. Wow. I speak about it too. And wow. I came from a industry, from TV, investment banking, a software company, and then I was doing executive search. And I found, sort of like you, that you know, there were a lot of unhappy people. And it didn't yes. really matter about their educational background or their financial background. There were a lot of unhappy people at work. And so like you, I started to shift more to researching and studying and learning more about what can make people happy. And in some of my research, I find that the Netherlands is consistently in the top five of happy people at work. Why do you think that is? <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: well it's perfect i mean i'm really it's really great and i'm really happy that dutch people are in in, in the top five and there's definitely a, a, a couple of reasons for that but at the same time we've also done some research ourselves and other researches and and we also found that yes maybe we are about like a seven on on a scale of one to ten and that's that is okay but in our private lives we we are uh, uh, we have the score of an eight so there's still some room for improvement. But to get back to, to your original question, uh, why it is that people are relatively happy at work over uh, over here in the Netherlands, I, I think probably for a number of reasons. Um, I think there's not a very strong hierarchy compared maybe to other countries. Mm-hmm. So it is it is in most cases okay to discuss with your team, with your, your boss uh, about how you want to do your work or if you're not really happy to have a discussion about that. Um, and that's what people
1: like. So there's, there's relatively uh, uh, high autonomy. So there's, so there's less fear. People are okay approaching their boss. They're not worried yes. about what they're going to say or if they're going to get demoted or if their idea is crazy or, or whatever. Yeah.
2: No, exactly. And of course, it, it depends on on, uh, on the company. But in general, people are quite happy to talk about what, what bothers them or uh, what what doesn't make them happy. So, yeah, the, there's autonomy. The, the hierarchy is not as strong as it is maybe in other countries. You know, where your boss is, okay, this is what you need to do. And there's no way you can discuss or bring up stuff, uh, whatever. Um, I think what also... Uh, makes people happy over here is that most workplaces are quite flexible if it comes to working hours. So, um, especially women work part time, so they they know how to or, or you know if that's what you want to do. They can combine their working life and their private life, spending time with children. So a lot of women work maybe three or four days, and also quite a few men work four days. So oh, you know, wow. yes. That that's that's I think quite a big difference with with other companies, um, other countries I mean, and of course there's always a downside to stuff as well because on the other hand it means that women aren't making a lot of promotions compared to their male counterparts, but they are I think relatively happy in combining uh, well the, the different uh, uh, the different aspects. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, the autonomy, uh, flexibility, uh, and the hierarchy is not as strong. I I think those are three reasons why the people over here are um, are relatively happy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of United States companies can really learn from that. So in your uh, research, have you found anything in particular that supports sort of the direction that you take with your company? Um, I'm sorry. I'm not completely sure what your question is. Can you repeat it please? Sure. So, um, what sorts of research have you done or found or studies that that support, you know, where you're going with the happiness Bureau? Yeah. Yeah. We have done a Dutch benchmark. So we've,
2: um, we had a sample of a a couple of thousands Dutch working people and we asked them about their happiness uh, and from that, and also from a lot of models, happiness at work uh, and our own experience, we deducted like, well, we deducted two models. We deducted the PFFF model. And that, in a way, is, is focused on the happiness of individual employees. And that consists of three parts. And that's and purpose, it's flow and fun and friendship. So purpose is about, you know, uh, are you in a job and you see, is, is it meaningful uh, do you feel that it's meaningful? But also, is it in line with your own values? That yep, that makes up for quite a bit of your happiness. And then the flow is about, do you use your talents, uh, your, your strengths? Do you have autonomy? But also, uh, are you being valued, uh, uh, recognized at your job? And then the fun and friendship. Is it okay to have fun at work? And do you feel connected with your fellow colleagues? So these are the three main topics uh, to look to uh, if you want to increase happiness of people in the workplace
1: yeah I love that I I th- the the one that really stood out for me is fun because yeah. I, I agree you know you have to have purpose and it has to align with what you love and a lot of millennials are really going after that I find because I I yep. talk to a lot of millennials and I speak about Millennials a lot around the world, but um, the fun factor is always a challenge. I think people are afraid yes. to really not yeah. just have fun, but let their true selves come out. Exactly. And exactly. so, how can companies el- enable that more? How can they create an environment where they encourage that fun? Well,
2: I think there's a couple of things you can do uh, as a company. It's, it's uh, you know, it's part of your culture. So it's, it's really allow people to have fun and um so if fun happens you can uh, either frown upon it i mean we've come across organisations when people were having fun they said okay they must not be working hard enough so let's give them a bit more uh, workload exactly but, or you can say okay that that's great uh, you know have fun uh, bond together and and even um create space for that you know, make sure that people can meet each other, or that there's some fun things or fun meetings. We have companies where people meet every every uh, uh, time in the morning. It's you know the first thing they do; they come together, like for a stand up, and then you can share maybe uh, also the fun things, the things that that go well, and uh, that works. And also just giving the example yourself, being a, um, an executive, being a manager. So I know of one company or a few companies, you know, where the CEO was baking pancakes in the hall when everybody arrives oh. in the morning.
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I mean,
2: being a CEO, you of course, they always say, okay, you can always come to me. My door is always open. But I mean, people, well, not everyone, I mean, probably most people are not going to do that because they are in meetings all the time. So maybe their door is open, but the CEO is not there. And, you know, if you feel like it's not something you can do, but when your CEO, your boss is there baking pancakes for you, wearing an apron, um, how easy is it then to have a chat? And, you know, if he or she asks you, Okay, how are are you doing in this company? Are you happy with what you're doing? Then you also show that it's possible to be yourself and to also show a different side, uh, also your personal side rather only than your professional side.
1: Yeah, I love that. I I do a workshop, I actually just did one a few weeks ago, where I had people talk about their self that they put out into the office or into the work environment, then the self they think others think of them and then who they really are. And I think, in support of what you're saying, if people can be who they really are, I, I believe that they're more engaged in work and they are happier because they really are authentic instead of worrying about all the things that can happen or the competition or, or what someone's going to think about them.
2: I totally agree. I totally agree. Because you, then, you, you know, you only can be yourself if there's a, a culture of trust, uh, of transparency, and exactly what you said, being authentic. Um, um,
1: yeah, no, I
2: totally agree.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, in talking about the boss, I love the pancake idea. Um that's that's fantastic and that just sets the tone from the top down. But what are some other things that bosses can do in general to to make their employees feel like they matter and that and that they are, they hear them and that they care for them.
2: Well, I think the most most important thing is that uh, a boss takes time to um yeah, to make time to discuss and sit down with, with, uh, with their employees. Um, I think last week we were in an organization and their the management said, you know, Gea, we don't have the time to speak to our employees once a year. And I, I was like, oh, my God, if oh you, my. I mean, that is your job, you know, and if you don't like people, uh, you shouldn't be the manager. Yes. So you know, people like being heard, and they like being uh, if if they can have a real conversation with their boss, and that his or her boss is also interested in uh, life outside work, etc. So just spending time with people and ask them about how they are at work, outside work, but also share things uh, they've done, what they're proud of, uh, and
1: stuff like that. I, th- I think that already. Uh, makes a big, big difference. I totally agree. So really getting to know someone deeper yeah. than just what the job description is. What about the idea of recognition and praise? How should that be delivered from a manager to an employee?
2: Well, there's also a couple of things there, I think. Um, when I was a manager, uh, I had a team of 36 and I thought I was doing pretty well on on the praise and recognition side. But then I got back this survey People weren't that happy. So now my advice normally is, if you think you're doing okay in this area, maybe multiply it by three. And then you probably approach what people like to hear. Because, you know, we sometimes give people a compliment and we think, okay, that's a compliment. And then maybe, you know, the next compliment or talking about recognition and praise, it will maybe be next year or in a couple of months. Uh, And people really like, I mean, it doesn't need to be uh, even that elaborate, but just saying, oh, thank you for doing this. Or just acknowledging that people have put in work um, and and they tried something and they achieved something. Just small things, but then, you know, brought in an authentic way and in a personal way. I think that's that's very important.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and specific praise is probably even more valuable. Um, How about in the areas of providing constructive feedback?
2: Well, there is is a rule, uh, (laughs) and that says, you know, if it's feedback you could give to your dog, it's not the type of feedback you should (laughs) give. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, maybe it's only a funny saying in Dutch, but but it means you know if you only say well done and and uh, etc. You know, then that really doesn't make uh, make make a difference. So it's already, I think stuff we we spoke about before. Yeah, uh, it needs to be personal. It needs to be uh, really specific for that person. Um, uh, and and constructive also can mean that you give uh, that you give some feed forward. You know, you really focus on the stuff that's really going well, but you also can give some advice uh, what people can improve on for the next time. But rather than looking back, so rather than focusing on feedback, and that quite often ends up being a session on, okay, let's discuss all stuff that didn't work well. Mm. Focus on, okay, this is already great. You know, I really loved that and that. what you, what you, what you did. But maybe next time, or, you know, on that project, you could also try to do this or try to do that. And we know that that is, uh, people are more open to the feed forward stuff than the feedback. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because feedback still um, brings about a reaction like, uh, uh, it's like freeze, fight or flight. Because people are, we're not very good at dealing with negative feedback. Yeah. Even if it's brought in a constructive way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah maybe you could say people get used to it so you know giving people feedback or feed forward very often you get used to it and how to deal with it but feed forward for, feed forward works uh, much better
1: yeah i love that i love the feed forward idea and in and, and in doing that it gives people sort of a safe environment yes. for making mistakes and it's exactly. okay because even though you might get advice on what happened you're still looking f- forward toward the positive and the improvement exactly yeah yeah so it, how important is it for the manager or the CEO to, to provide a clear vision um, of where the company's going or that department or that team?
2: Well, in our own research, um, not having a clear vision for a company is, people are, makes people unhappy. Because, you know, if you, if you don't know where you're going to, then on a day-to-day basis, you don't know, okay, should I go left or should I go right? Mm. um so that that leaves uh, that leaves a lot of confused people confused so i think a clear vision uh, but also clear values okay where are you going but but how in what way you know what is very specific for this this company and even more important rather than having a clear vision and values because we see that quite a few companies at least in the netherlands but i also think outside the netherlands they they come up with uh, a, a clear vision but then you know they spend three days with a very expensive consultant, and then they come back and they say, "Okay, this is our vision these these are our values. They put it up on the wall, but still that 's not what people are looking for they look for okay I want to be involved in in where we want where we're going to. I want to be involved in our values, and people also like actionable values rather than you know we have a lot of companies you know, like customer centricity, integrity, quality." But, you know, quality can mean something different for you or, or me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's really discussing. It's really talk, talking a lot about vision and and values. And what we see is that at senior management level, well, people know what their vision and values are and what they meant. And then maybe middle management, you know, they sort of know because the the, the senior managers told them. And then we see that between managers and, well, let's say the rest of the company, the employees, there may be some sort of, well, maybe sometimes no communication or not enough communication or even miscommunication. So I think it's very important that uh, all through the whole whole company, uh, senior management, management, employees, talk about vision, where they want to go to, how they want to get there, uh, in what way, what are important values that it becomes part of their um, way of doing business.
1: Yeah, and it seems to me that an extension of that would be the accountability factor. I mean, sort of knowing that, okay, the leader is going to be accountable for you know pursuing this vision and supporting this vision and giving the employees the um, ability to, to take that vision forth into the world. Um, yeah. So knowing who's accountable and knowing that, and, and what that accountability looks like seems to me to be sort of the next step.
2: Yeah, definitely. And also of course the walk, the talk, because you can say, okay, this is our vision. This is where we're going. And this is the way we're going to do it. And then if you see behave completely behavior, that's not in line with that, then that's very confusing for people. And then you lose faith in the vision or in the values. And uh, you don't really understand where, uh, where the company is, is going to.
1: Yeah. So Often in my work, I come across a lot of issues from the top down. And one of the big issues that I've seen, Gia, is micromanaging managers. So how do you deal with that? (laughs) Well, I
2: think we're in a transition from, you know, like more the directive leadership to a more coaching, uh, supporting leadership. And uh, when you're really a uh, micromanaging command control type leader, it will be very difficult to sit on your hands and to not micromanage. So, so therefore what we see more often is that a a different type of manager maybe is needed. Uh, And and yeah, in in companies. So I, I also see that the younger generation type managers, they, they are more, uh, uh, well, the say faire more let go, give more autonomy to the people in their teams. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is very difficult if you're used to micromanaging. And that's because what you've been brought up to is that what your boss expected of you to micromanage the team. And if your boss had a question about your team that, that you had to be able or have to be able to, to answer any detailed question um, so yeah, but, but again, yeah, talk about it. Uh, but bringing in a different type of manager is probably the, the best way, yeah. maybe the hardest way, but the best way to really get a change in this area.
1: Or, um, and, and I agree with that completely. An- another thought is maybe having that manager be a little more vulnerable and explaining to his team, the pressures that they are experiencing Yeah. so that the team understands a little more where they're coming from and maybe yeah. they aren't. Maybe that micromanaging isn't from a personality or character trait um, source. But it's the way the company—it's it's like the cult, the, the culture.
2: Yeah, right. and, and I think there's two—there's two choices here. Whether you can accept what's going on. Uh, and I worked with a team once, and they had a very micromanaging manager, and uh, she she explained why, but people really didn't like it. And then I advised the team. So maybe for for a while, you just uh, answer all your manager's questions, and after that, you know she got the trust in the people that they were doing the right things. And after that, she she was able to let go much more. So yes, there is uh, you can change your behavior, or explain your behavior as a manager, but also as an employee, maybe you don't like the micromanaging, but maybe going along for a while, showing your manager that you're perfectly in control. Uh, that also makes it easier for, well, to create more
1: space for yourself as an employee. Mm -hmm. I like that too. So let's shift over from that manager that we're trying to make perfect so that the (laughs) employees are happy (laughs) to the employees themselves. I mean, what can they do um, in terms of taking responsibility for their own happiness in the workplace?
2: Well, there's definitely a couple of things they can do. I think first is um, taking responsibility for your own happiness. Uh, so rather than, okay, I'm in this company and you know, the CEO or my manager or my colleagues is, uh, and of course in every company and, and you experience probably the same Jodi, everywhere you go, uh, it, there's no perfect, perfect workplace for everyone or true, no true. perfect. So there, there's, there will always be some problems or some stuff you need to deal with, but rather than complain about it, um, and not take responsibility. It's looking at, okay, this is the way it is. What is possible f- for me? What, what, what can I do? And hopefully you can change stuff around uh, within your own job or within your team or whatever. But even when the worst comes to the worst, uh, uh, you, you can always leave your, your job and True. <laughs> look for a different opportunity.
1: Yeah, a lot of times when I deal with um, the younger generation, when I'm working with them and helping them figure out what they want to do, I tell them, you know, A, make sure the work is challenging. Yeah. Um, Do you find that boredom can be a source of unhappiness? Oh,
2: definitely. I mean, at the moment in the Netherlands, the bigger problem is dealing with burnout and stress, to be honest. Mm. Because people are feeling feeling uh, overwhelmed, there's too much work, uh, you know, and and there's more and more coming. But we do also do know from research that 15% of of Dutch people, Dutch working people, suffer from a bore out. So um, there definitely is a group that are that that's not challenged enough. And also, you know, it, it's also possible that for a while you're perfectly in flow. But if you've been doing stuff for, well, for one person, it's three months or six months or a year or a couple of years, that you're looking for a, a different challenge. I, I also read research on that, that even when people are engaged, they may lose engagement when they're not uh, challenged. Uh, to, mm-hmm. so,
1: to spend... they, so, so they want to see a sense of progress in their... Definitely. Yeah, in their in their upward momentum. And then I think, you know, we talked before, um, touched slightly upon that fear factor. I think if the culture is open like you have in the Netherlands, it seems like that fear factor would be less. That's
2: true.
1: Yeah, that's but true which is important. And you talked about autonomy. I'm a big believer in that as well. Yeah. And, and then, and then when you said fun and friendship before with the three F's, the triple F's, the friendship part, talk a little bit more about that in the workplace.
2: Friendship. Well, uh, quite a big part uh, uh, comes from feeling connected with other people. I mean, we're social human beings, so social creatures. So uh, we like to, uh, to relate to others, et cetera. Uh, and we see that because of all the busyness, we're so much focused on, on on our own work and hardly take any time for connecting with others. So, I mean, even um, go for lunch rather than, I don't know what it's like in the States, or maybe I do know, you know, it, 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 here's the tendency of eating lunch just behind your desk. You just mm-hmm. work through lunch, et cetera. And, and that's wrong for two things. I mean, it's wrong for stress and burnout but it, you also miss the opportunity of connecting uh, with your colleagues. You know, if you, if you go for a walk or you go outside or even have lunch in the canteen, you have a moment to wind down and to connect with other people and to see uh, what's on their minds, uh, what they're working on, uh, etc. So, um, yeah, making sure, allowing people time to connect And don't see it like, uh, and for the companies, they should realize that this connection time really also contributes to the bottom line of the company rather than have people working individually as hard as they can and then or rather become burnout or they feel isolated or people are not connected.
1: Mm -hmm. I I did a workshop with a company that was having that issue. And one of the things through the exercises we did, uh, they came up with a commitment to support things that their team were doing outside of work okay. so for example someone might be in a play or someone might be in, on a baseball game and they commit at, you know maybe once a month or something to go to that event
2: ah that's and, great
1: yeah and they that's found that cool. that the connection was even deeper because they were more involved with who that person was exactly. and that's so great. I love that, just a little more of an extension of having lunch and not eating at your desk, but maybe even supporting people outside the workplace, which I, we never think about, right? We just think we go oh, to work exactly. and then we go home. So, so how do you measure happiness at, with the employees or the bosses or anyone in the office? How, how can you actually measure it on an ongoing basis?
2: Well, I think at the moment, uh, it's perfectly fine to measure using surveys, Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Maybe you know technology is moving forward, so maybe in a couple of years, which is scary at the same time, people are wearing headbands, etc., and you can measure their emotions. Oh, good. Um, oh boy. <laughs> but you know the technology is already there, so I, I, I I'm very curious to see whether uh, that will that will move into the workplace as well. But there may be some ethic uh, ethic. Um, discussions around that so i think at the moment it's perfectly fine i mean we find it perfectly fine just to uh, uh, survey people we use the our both our two models as a basis the, the pfff model we ask about purpose values about flow about fun and friendship and yes the survey is is a means it's not an objective in itself and then we discuss with the team or the team discusses and we facilitate okay, what do we see? What are the outcomes? Do we recognize the outcomes? And then maybe in a type of session you just referred to, uh, you can come up with actions. You know, if you see that they would score low on friendship, um, we encourage them to come up with ideas on how we could improve the, uh, the connection between, between the employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in that way, uh, you, you, yes, you can measure uh, happiness at work, and that's a pretty good basis for improving happiness at work.
1: Yeah, I like it. But and and here's another issue that comes up all the time. And I think it's getting, it's starting to diffuse somewhat. But how do you monetize happiness at work? I mean, some companies that I've dealt with think it's a very touchy-feely thing. You have to have the buy-in from the top down. But how do you actually monetize that?
2: And monetize, you mean, by that you mean how you keep i'm I'm not completely so
1: so so basically um in terms of monetizing it you know less if people are more engaged they won't leave and then you won't have more recruiting costs and have to train an employee and uh, there might be revenue loss when employees leave so have you had to convince companies to really get on board about happiness at work and the workshops and the strategies that you offer when they say oh we just think it's touchy-feely well I think it was like that
2: a couple of years ago Uh, I mean I see a huge difference in the Netherlands uh, between like you know we started in 2015 we're now three years down the line and um, I think at the start, people thought thought that that happiness at work was about maybe tree hugging or yoga classes. Or maybe <laughs> exactly. Really. But but now we're really being approached and and we're being called by CEOs of, of big comp, corporate companies, and, and they say, yes, I understand by now that if I want my clients, my customers to be happy, I need happy employees. And I see we have some work in that area, but I don't know what to do. So please come over and, and, and have a, let's have a talk and, and maybe you can
1: help us with that.
2: Mm-hmm. So there
1: has been a big, big change. That's wonderful. I, th- I think some elements or some sectors of the US, I mean, some of the big tech companies are very um, happy focused, or I should say perk focused yeah. oh, um, yeah. to attract the younger generation but you know there are a lot of very strong employees that are older gen xers and baby boomers that are very valuable and have a lot to offer too so it seems to me in the u.s there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of creating that happiness culture for everyone not just attracting the young ones yep yeah. yep yeah. So yep. I, th- I I think you are years ahead of us, and I think any CEO or head of HR listening or manager to this episode will really gain some important points from Mugia. So any any parting thoughts for companies or employees that can cr- help them create a happier environment for themselves and within the company?
2: Well, I think the first the first big step when you talk about happiness at work is to start, to put it on the agenda. Um, I think that makes all the difference already. You know, if if you think this is important for your company, for your employees, uh, I think then quite often the rest will follow Mm -hmm. one way or the other. So make sure that uh, you understand what it is, what it isn't, and uh, for management, that happiness at work is not only a means to an end of making more uh, revenue or focus on the bottom line that but that you really um, that you really care about what's happening in your organization and that you want your employees to be happy and then maybe as a result, yes, of course you're doing better and you have better results but uh, that also needs to be authentic it's not a trick
1: yeah. I love that. Gia, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jody. It's just such great information, and I wish you continued success, and I hope I get to see you again at another conference. Of course. Hopefully next year. And for all our listeners, thank you for being here on The Masogi Method. I'm your host, Jody B. Miller, and we'll see you next time.
0: Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and an 18 month lease. No trade in required. Visit a Sprint store, sprint.com, or call 800 Sprint One. Phone $15 a month after 22 15 month credit. Apply within two bills. If canceled earlier, the main balance to unlimited basic after six thirty-twenty. 20. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a payday to prioritization during ingestion. Speed maximums, use rules, restrictions apply.